Romans chapter 10, if you take your Bible, join me today, Romans chapter number 10. I have a couple special files in my office and I do keep genuinely special things in those files. And one of the very special files that I have in that filing area is a file that is titled Letters from Kids. And so when I get a letter from a child here at Campus Church, I am very quick to hold on to that letter. So it goes into a special file titled Letters from Kids. And this one I just got about two weeks ago. And I'm not going to share her name because I don't want to embarrass her, but she's one of our children here at Campus Church. And so let me tell you what she wrote in her letter while you're, you're finding Romans chapter 10. Pastor Redland, if you are still pastor in the next maybe 20 years, well, I don't know about that, so 20 years. Let's see, that would make me 104. Okay, so if you are still pastor in the next maybe 20 years, I would like for you to help me in my missionary mission. You will see in the list on the next page that the things... um, You will see in the next page the things that I need. If you aren't pastor in probably not even 20 years, I would like you to pass this list on to the next pastor. (laughs) That's good thinking right there, isn't it? Like you might be gone next week, so hang on to the letter, get it to the next guy. I really do. In my thinking, I thought that girl is thinking ahead. Like I have a mission and it needs to be accomplished. And so she's just, she's, and then she has her address. And then she also included, she said, you're going to see on the list on the next page, um, she has uh, things that I'm going to have to do as she's speaking about herself personally. So I'm going to have to study. I'm going to have to prepare a budget. I'm going, and then she has a list of things that she's going to need on the mission field to do the work God's called her to do. And then um, on the next page, she has building A. And that is, she she actually drew out, you're not going to be able to see this because it's so lightly done, but she drew out a building and this is the children's home, the orphanage. And so she has the the plan for what the building is going to look like. Then on the back of that page, she um, she has kind of like the girls' beds and then the chapel, She has, this is the big layout, the chapel, the cafeteria. Um, She has the teacher's rooms and then guys and men's and ladies, boys and girls dorms. And then over here, she has other buildings. And so I'm not sure, I think this might be the outside of of one of the buildings. And then she has the layout for for the school. I mean, she's got this all detailed out. She has a plan for how she is going to advance the work because she is on a, on a mission. My encouragement for her was, I don't know, now maybe this is exactly where the Lord's going to send her. My encouragement is you continue to submit yourself to anything that God would have you do and you will be on the right mission. How many of you have ever been on what we refer to commonly today in church settings? How many of you have ever been on a missions trip before? Raise your hand. So I don't know if you're looking around, but there are scores of people 
who have been on a missions trip. Let me ask the opposite of that just for a visual. How many of you'd say, uh, Pastor, I've never been on what we call a missions trip. I've never been on one. Raise your hand. Okay, lots of people. In some way, shape, or form, I feel as if all of us who claim the name of Jesus Christ should look at this side of eternity as what we might refer to as a missions trip. That we are on a mission. Commonly, when we go on what we call a missions trip, I get, I get letters all the time from people who are going and they're asking for me to pray for them and remember them. And could we even help financially to advance this cause? And then they start to list, this is what we're going to do on this missions trip. We're going to work for people in need. We're going to invest ourselves in the advancement of, of actual real felt needs. We're going to dig a well or we're going to work on this facility or we're going to build this need. We're going to go help with people's needs. We're going to go address medical needs. We're going to help with surgical needs. We're going to help with, with the distribution of things because people are getting malaria and dying and, and we can go and deliver. I mean, they just go on and on about the mission that they have. And then always included in that, and here's how we're going to advance the good news, the gospel. And I wonder if there's not some healthy recalibrating of our brain to say, what kind of missions trip am I on right now? What is it that God has commissioned me to do for this period of time when I am living literally in a foreign land? You say, well, well, I was born and raised here. I know, but our citizenship as followers of Jesus Christ is actually in heaven. I know I have an earthly citizenship and we understand that. I'm not trying to be facetious or, 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 or you know, just play games with words, but the reality is my real eternal home has a citizenship that's already established. So I am here for this time, which is limited. And I have been discovering is far more vapor-like than I ever imagined. To start thinking about the purposes for which God has me on this planet for these days as somewhat of a, a trip that is purposeful with a mission. A little girl in campus church understands it. I wonder if I do as clearly as her reality shows. Paul is explaining again the gospel in the passage that we're finding ourselves at in our series in the book of Romans. So he starts to walk us through that, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the thou shalt be saved. With the heart man believeth, with the mouth confession is made. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And then Paul does something that is genius. When I was a kid, in fact, even in my youth pastoring days, if we ever showed a, a film like I went to a, a public school when I was a kid. And if we could get the teacher to do this when they showed a film. Now the film came in this metal circular tray. 
and they would pull out this reel and it would have this film wrapped and wrapped. Some of you are out there nodding like, I know exactly what you're talking about. And some of you would say, I saw that in a museum one time. So they would get out the film and they would put it on and, and it was quite an art. I mean, I, I have shown plenty of films in my day. You'd put it on, you know, the front arm and then you'd take that film and you'd start weaving it through the machine. If you didn't get it just right, the sound would be off from the picture and, and you'd get it all set up and, and then you'd show the film. If we could get our teacher to do this. And, and when I was a youth pastor, the team's like, okay. After we'd watch the film, they would always say, and we'd say this to our teacher, Play it backwards, okay? I'm just telling you, we just thought that was the coolest thing. It was, we didn't have a lot of other forms of entertainment, okay? So it just was like to watch the person go backwards through the whole thing, it was just hilarious. You know, like if somebody jumped and then zoo, they jump backwards, you know? We thought this is cool. It got our attention. And do you know what the Apostle Paul does in Romans chapter 10? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then it says if he starts to play the, the movie, so to speak, in reverse. He uses something that is literary genius. He helps us understand, okay, how is it then? What's necessary? What are the steps that we need to do to bring a person to the point where they are the whosoever who calls upon the name of the Lord? Have you ever been someplace and a, and a person said, how did you get there? And they walked you in reverse order, the steps to actually arrive them there. How'd you get to this point in your life? Well, previously I was, and then before that I was, and then what I did was, and to begin I came from, and they walk you in reverse order. And that's exactly what the apostle Paul begins to do here. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse number 13. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now watch how it starts to play backwards. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. As we notice how Paul leads us through these essential steps, he does so in such vivid manner. He is answering the question, which is the title of our sermon today. How shall they hear? It is a powerful question. People need Jesus Christ. So he asks the question, if they need Jesus and if whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, how shall they hear? When Paul begins to walk us backwards from the beginnings to the beginnings of this gospel message, let's watch as he, in a sense, plays the, the movie reel backward. The first thing that he takes us to that we understand is this calling, this calling. Okay, this is the idea of salvation. That when a person finally gets to the place where they're calling on the name of the Lord. Again, we just read it, we've referred to it. For whosoever, that is anyone, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Believing always begins in the heart, but it flows to the mouth, to this actual confession. It's an acknowledgement of what Jesus Christ has done and an acceptance of this personally. I am declaring Jesus Christ is my Savior. I'm calling on the name of the Lord. In, in verses 9 and 10, which again we've referenced, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth, if you will actually say what is now the overflow of your heart. Listen, if, if we went to some large stadium and we just asked the, the, the throngs of people to repeat after me, and, and I mean, you have you know, 80,000 people that all of a sudden in unison, um, just repeat this after me. Um, I know that I'm a sinner. And all across the stadium, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus is God. I believe that Jesus is, and we walk them through the most articulate, what we call sinner's prayer ever offered. They have just confessed with their mouth the Lord Jesus. Is this essential for salvation? Well, the Bible says, for whosoever shall call. Okay, so, so are they all saved? Well, well, we would say that that was just an audible confession. There has to be something that goes deeper than the mouth. But this is, this is we understand, important. And Paul's just backing us up. You know, Christ sends tellers. Tellers proclaim. Proclaimers then have the opportunity for others to hear. Hearers believe. And believers call. And those who call on the name of the Lord are saved. How sad if we give our lives to something that honestly doesn't eternally matter. He's really beginning with something. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And as the Roman listeners are, are thinking through this, like that's profound, that's powerful, that's important. Wow, what, what are we doing? And he's starting this process, rolling it backwards. Okay, well, well, okay, whosoever shall call the calling, this is really important. I wonder if we're, we're giving ourselves to, at times, things that really don't, don't matter. I did a quick search on, on those who had lost their lives from their own hand in the 21st century. And I start to read their stories and the list, when I'm going through this list, I'm like, wow, this is quite a list. And these are notable people. And on this list are billionaires, what we call influencers, musicians. Please, I, I'm serious about this. I don't presume to know all the reasons why a person would come to the end of themselves. So I understand that. I understand the challenge of of circumstances. I understand the, the reality of mental health difficulty. I, I was I honestly moved when I go through this list and I can't believe how long the list is. Seriously, I get to the end of the list and I realize, and I'm like, wow, that's quite a list. And I realize the list is set up after I get to the end of the list and I go through this and person after person after person that you would think has no reason to take their life I get to the end of the list and I find that it is alphabetically driven and I have finished with the A's. And I have 25 more letters to go. And I, and I pause and I wonder 
if the navigational instrument of my life points to me, if the compass wherewith I am trying to find direction for my life, if it continually points to me, I am directionless through life. I have no place to go. How do I know where to go next? And what purpose is there if everything continually simply points to me? What what Paul is helping us understand is there are some really important things at stake here. And this important thing at stake is whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, this is where we want to bring people to, whosoever, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, he's helping us understand what are you giving your life to? Quite recently, I was speaking with someone who's involved in the fastest growing sport in the United States. Pickleball, okay. Fastest growing sport in the United States. It's quite amazing. It started out, I think, as as a sport that catered to an older generation. But it quickly just began to to catch on with with all ages and stages of life. It's quite popular. There are over 5 million very passionate people playing pickleball. And my wife and I, um, we're part of the younger generation playing. And um, so we've, we've been playing pickleball and we've, we've had opportunity to meet people, have conversations. Someone said to me quite recently, they said, told me all that they were doing. They're probably in their late 60s, early 70s, all that they're doing. And they play about three hours of pickleball a day. And then he said, I'm doing this and this and this. And then he said, in words that I just felt like, oh. He said, if I can't play pickleball anymore, you might as well dig a hole and put me in it. And sometimes I I think we look at life like a game that if it's not rewarding, why continue? There is something bigger than me at the center. And that's where Paul begins us. Like, wow, this, what's at stake is really significant. Look at where he goes to next. And of course, we understand this. Um, he goes to believing. Not just calling, but he's playing it backwards. What is it that precedes the calling? The believing. That, that's at the first part of verse number 14. How shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? See, you don't take someone immediately to the, hey, pray this prayer. You, you back them up and it's like, no, no, no. Before you say anything, you have to believe this. Believest thou this, Jesus asked. Well, well a person has to come to a point where they say, I, I now know who Jesus is. I believe that Jesus is God. I, I know what he did. He died a sinner's death, not because he was a sinner, He died a sinner's death because I know and believe I am a sinner. The songwriter wrote, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able. He can do all that he's offered to do. Well, he goes to believing and, and then notice where he goes next. He begins with calling, but he goes before calling is believing, before believing is hearing. Hearing. Romans 10, 14, again, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Hearing. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, the same chapter, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
I grew up at a time in the United States when the name of Jesus Christ was commonly understood. We often talked about our Judeo-Christian heritage, founding, but we don't hear that very often anymore. There was a common center historically in the United States of America, but not so much today. Today, if you ask someone, who is Jesus Christ to you? Now, there was a time in our land when that question itself would have elicited a somewhat favorable, maybe even a majority of the time, response. Who is Jesus Christ to you? There may now be a more common response is, who is Jesus Christ? Not just like, hey, who is Jesus Christ to you? I don't know who you're talking about. Do you know how many people on the face of the planet have never heard the name of Jesus Christ? So then faith cometh by hearing, hearing. What kind of a mission trip are we on? We're placed on this side of eternity knowing truth that has the potential to change someone else's eternity. And connected to that change is a name, a person, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. When I, when I went, I told you I went to a public school. When I went to a public school, we prayed before we had our meals. We prayed in my public school before we had our little cardboard cup of milk and a little snack in first grade. It wouldn't have been uncommon to see the Ten Commandments posted in my public school. Uh, uh, Preachers were, were honored in public places, but so much has changed today. But the need has not. The answer has not. It still yet remains the same. Today our challenges are different yet the same. Different in that there is no longer a common understanding who Jesus truly is, but our challenges are the same in that since the time of his resurrection, the followers of Jesus Christ have been teaching and preaching what Jesus Christ has offered for all men everywhere. Well, how do we keep backing up this real? We have this calling, this believing, this hearing, and then this preaching. Now, Be careful here. Be really careful, okay? Don't, don't like, oh, okay, let's get to the next point because that's not me. You know, okay, pastor, preach on, you know. That's good preaching. You you do that. And hey, there's a group of, of people that I know that are studying for the work of the ministry. Amen to them. But preaching, I'm not, I'm not really a preacher. If you're not careful with this passage, it's a little deceptive. The Bible says again in verse number 14, chapter 10, and how shall they hear without a preacher? We know that since salvation through Christ has been provided for all men, it must be proclaimed to all men. How sad if we as believers, followers of Christ, have nothing to say. The Bible says this. Sometimes we say, well, I don't know if I'm the guy, the right guy to do it. I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm a lady. I don't know if I'm, I'm not really a preacher. Mark chapter 16, verse number 15. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 
Acts chapter 1 verse 8, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. 1 Corinthians 9 16, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me. Let me repeat that, yea, woe is unto me. If what? If I preach not the gospel. Of course, we often hesitate because we don't know that we will, will have what it takes to go and tell. What we have is a command to go and tell. It really is not so much about the messenger as it is about the message. We oftentimes make too much over the, I just don't know if I can do this. Do you know what God does? He says, listen, it's not about the container as much as it is about what that container holds. For example, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels, in like simple clay pots. Something that is of value beyond estimation. He says, this treasure, and we, we're carrying this around in these, this, this earthen vessel that the excellency of the power of God may be of God and not of us. It is not about you and me. The Greek word that's used here for, for you know, how are, they gonna, how are they gonna hear unless there's someone preaching, a preacher? The word here is used 61 times throughout the Bible. Um, th- this is the last time that it's used. 53 times it's translated as the verb to preach or to proclaim, to tell. I have something I have to tell you. Have you ever had someone come to you before and they say, oh, 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 listen, I have something I got to tell you. Okay. Don't let me forget to tell you because they have some news that has to be told. Um, Sometimes we even remind someone. We say, hey, don't let me forget to tell you about. I can't tell you right now, but I've got to tell you. We have some urgency about this idea. That's the idea that's communicated in this word. Preacher. Someone who has a message and I have to tell you about what it is that you have got to hear. So over and over again, 53 times translated as a a verb to preach, okay? Five times translated as a verb to publish. Twice translated as a verb to proclaim. And then here, this last time, same word. But the idea here, we've we've kind of put it in the the place of this position, But but don't be scared off by that. He's saying, listen, this is what you become in a very practical way. Not in an office capacity, but in an obligation capacity. This is what I'm supposed to be doing on my mission here on this side of eternity. I am to be a proclaimer of the gospel message. Some believers, true, are called vocationally to ministry. But all should be acting obediently. Don't get in the trap. Don't get in the bad habit of saying, now some of you are called to full-time Christian service. That is not a healthy way to communicate the truth of what all of us as, as followers of Jesus Christ are called to do. There is no part-time Christian service. It is all, Lord, whatever I do with my life, whatever you want me to do with my life, I'm in this full time for you. So whether I eat or drink or whatsoever I do, Lord, I'm gonna do all to the glory of God. So here he's helping us understand part of what we're called to do is to preach, to proclaim, 
to tell other people about the person of Jesus Christ. What comes after preaching? So, so calling, a person calls, they're saved. Where does that come from? Because they were believing. Well, how did they believe? They were hearing. How did they hear? Someone was preaching, proclaiming, telling. Well, how did they go and preach the gospel? Oh, someone was sending. Sending. Notice again, verse number 15, Romans chapter 10. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. As, as, as Paul's history, he does this repeatedly. He quotes scripture as he is actually penning the words of scripture. So he's writing things down um, that are really a referencing of the Old Testament passages. So what's he doing? Well, he's quoting scripture from Isaiah chapter 52, verse number seven. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them that bring good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bring good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, thy God reigneth. The gospel is exactly that. It is good tidings, it's good news. It's Proverbs 25, 25, as cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Have you ever said to someone before, you are a sight for sore eyes? It's an old expression, but it's communicating this idea, oh, just seeing you has done me good. There are people who don't know it yet, but you are the, the wonderful sight for their sore eyes. They don't know it, but you have been one of those sent ones. You're here on a missions trip and you've got a message, a job, a work to do. And they see you coming. You know, there are people who are going to replay that tape of their own spiritual journey. And it's going to come to you in such a significant, substantial position where you were the sent one bringing to them good news. Isn't this what we've all been called to do? To bring good news from a far country. It seems as if the default position today of the church has been to stay while others wait to be called and then sent. Is it possible that we have adopted the wrong default position? Is it possible that we should begin with the I will go as the default and wait for the Lord to command us to stay. After all, isn't this the ready command of scripture? Must we wait for a call to go and tell when we've already been given a command to do the same? So well, I don't know if I'm called to go to some foreign place. Well, let's start with our own place. And ye shall be witnesses. The, the idea is concurrently, both in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts. He says, listen, okay, so start right now. But all of us should understand, I am one of those sent ones. God, wherever you lead, I'll go. The word angel, it just means messenger. It just means sent one. Now I know there are heavenly angels, but I'm telling you, you could be someone's like, wow, heaven sent angel. Because you had a message to deliver on the part of another. The place 
to which you are sent is important, but it is not as important as knowing that God is sending you. Paul's making an appeal to missions here, but not necessarily to foreign missions, although certainly that's included, just to our mission to know that God is sending us as his ambassador to people in a foreign land. After all, we do have our citizenship in heaven, campus church. Are we taking our calling, let's say it more directly, our command seriously? Are we going? Are we telling? The cost can be high, but if we have truly found our pearl of great price, then what is it that we are not willing to sacrifice for the possession of the same? Paul concludes this with what we'll refer to as a pleading. There was a calling that was preceded by a believing, which came from a hearing, which came from a preaching, which came from ascending. And then Paul really bookends this passage. He closes in the same way that he opened it. In the opening of Romans chapter 10, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. In Romans 9, he says, I wish myself a curse that my brethren, Israel, would be saved. And then he concludes this chapter, Romans 21, but to Israel, he saith, he's he's now speaking about Almighty God. But unto Israel, he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse number three, the Lord hath appeared of old unto me saying, yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. What is God doing? He's saying, listen, with open arms, I am inviting you to come to me. In Hosea chapter 11, verse number four, I drew them with cords of a man, with bands of love. Clearly, there is a longing on the part of God for man to be reconciled to himself. This brings about the need for sending because God is pleading He is also sending. The name Adoniram Judson may be familiar to many, but not to all. He was not saved until the age of 20. He went off to college as a young man. He was powerfully influenced by a friend, and and he adopted the faith. He adopted the faith of a deist. And he believed that while there may be a God This God does not interact with mankind personally. And Judson became quite a devout deist. Upon graduation from college, Judson had some desire to wander just to explore. And he did. And so at the age of 20, he's doing kind of his own quest to see what life had to offer. He took a room one night and as he lay attempting to sleep, he couldn't sleep because the man next door was in clear agony. In fact, they were the groans of a dying man. And all night long, this man groaned and the weeping and the pleading and the fear that Judson could hear from this man's adjacent room really struck Judson powerfully, thinking now about life and death. The next morning, Judson inquired about the man next door to learn that the man who died next door was actually his deist friend had a profound impact on Judson and through that he came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ 
Soon after that, he began to give himself to the work that was before him. As he prepared then to serve the Lord in whatever capacity the Lord would have him go, he sensed the call to foreign missions, specifically to India. And so Judson began to work and to prepare, to study, to train, to go and serve the Lord in a land that so desperately needed the gospel. He, um, in the course of his preparations, he was just a short time from boarding a boat when he met a young lady named Anne. As he met Anne Hasseltine, he very shortly after he met her sensed that she was the person that he was to ask to marry. And so he wrote her a proposal and she hesitated to answer. In fact, it was some time before she finally gave a response and her response was, you're going to have to ask my father. And so Judson wasted no time and I'd like to read to you the letter that he wrote asking for Anne's hand in marriage. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring to see her no more in this world whether you can consent to her departure and her subjection to the hardships and sufferings of a missionary life, whether you can consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps a violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home and died for her and for you, for the sake of the perishing, immortal souls, for the sake of Zion and the glory of God? Can you consent to all this in hope of soon meeting your daughter in the world of glory with the crown of righteousness brightened with the acclamations of praise which shall redound to her Savior from heathens saved, through her means, and eternal woe and despair. The father weighed that. In fact, he received strong counsel from very dear friends to reject such a suitor, such a proposal. But upon seeking his own counsel and the counsel of Almighty God, he left the decision, which was uncharacteristic, entirely to Anne. And Anne submitted herself to the proposal. They were married and a month later they were on a boat bound for India. There to proclaim the gospel. Um, while on that lengthy journey they, they lost their first child, a stillborn. They were then rejected at India and so through seeking the Lord he led them to a land called Burma. Today it is modern day Myanmar and there they continued the work. The Lord then did give them a child and bless them with joy. They wrote about the, the reality that there seemed to be some light in their very dark world. Six months later they did again bury that child. Um, it was years with no conversions. In fact, we don't have time to tell the story but because of an invasion of the British into Burma, the Burmese looked at every foreigner as a spy. And so the degradations then that Adoniram Judson submitted himself to were profound. 
He was imprisoned as a spy. He, he learned in prison, again, regarding the challenges of health for his family, the, the issues that were before him. He, he went through incredible lengths to, to hear of the, 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 the health problems and the issues with his, his, his wife. And then she bears a child while he is in prison and their child then is ill. And he finally made it out of prison through a, a, a series of miracles and he gets home and it, they feel like they have this fresh start. Uh, Judson has to travel to the embassy to leave his wife and, and their new child. While he is away, he receives word that there is great illness and now he begins to pray for his daughter. He receives a message in a black envelope and as he's handed that message, the, the bearer of the news said, I am so sorry about the loss of your daughter. Immediately, Judson's heart just breaks and he wants to go and be alone and read the letter. He wants to be there to comfort his wife. And he goes and he opens by himself the letter. And as he opens it, he is stunned by the words that it is not his daughter who has died. But it is his wife, Anne, who has perished. The story of, of Judson says he began to cry this soft cry. But as he continued to weep, he just burst forth into sobs that could not be contained. He goes through a series of depression and, and depth. He dug his own grave and he sat inside of it. And yet Judson continues on. The Lord brings him out of this despair and he continues to preach the gospel. It was six years before they saw their first convert to Christianity. He, he did again marry and he buried that wife and several other children. He was on a, on a ship to take her to the States to, to be able to, in some way, shape, or form, revive her health, and she died at sea. He does marry a third time, and, and the Lord continued to do a, an incredible work. He translated the Bible into Burmese. It was a major accomplishment. After that, he began to work on reducing the language to letters, so to speak. He takes and does a 600-page dictionary of the language so that people would have more access to the people, English to Burmese. Uh, finally, it was Judson himself that found his health failing, and they felt like the only key to his uh, survival was, again, a voyage. And while it didn't appear that he would survive the, vo the voyage, they parted as husband and wife and Judson sets off to sea. Very shortly thereafter, his own body succumbed. Judson lost his life. The carpenter, a carpenter on board the ship, built a, a rustic rudimentary coffin. They placed him inside. They filled the coffin with sand and Judson himself was buried at sea along the shore of the Burmese mountains. This is the man who wrote, when Christ calls me home, I shall go with the gladness of a boy bounding away from his school. He's the man who wrote, my God, thy will be done. Only one boon I crave to finish well my work and rest within a Burmese grave. Six years ago, I had the privilege to stand in Myanmar, Burma, I asked about the number of places that were called Judson. It's, it's everywhere. Th this is one picture. This is Judson Church. 
It's actually on the campus of Yangon University. This is another picture. It's a photo of the cornerstone, Judson College Chapel. It's just one of the commemorative plates that's there. And I found this marker most insightful. The inscription says the following. This memorial marble slab is laid on 10-11-2013 in memory and thanksgiving of Reverend Dr. A. Judson's Baptist mission work in Myanmar. And then notice what they did. His work in Myanmar. You can't see the words clearly unless you zoom in. You can't see the numbers clearly unless you zoom in. But the numbers are 1813 to when the slab was laid, 2013. What they were doing is they were marking the 200th year of his ongoing influence. Quite frankly, I wonder what ongoing influence I or any of us will have in 200 years. I can tell you there is one kind of influence that will last far beyond 200 years. It is the timeless work of life transformation that is the product that only the gospel can produce. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. 